What do you think of when I say the 1990s? Grunge music? Friends? We all remember that. But what you might not remember is that 61 million people were using pagers and smartphones didn't exist. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and on my new podcast, History of the 90s, we go inside the stories that defined a decade. From 90210 to the Long Island Lolita. Listen for free to History of the 90s on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, January 23rd. We begin with a look at the Conservative leadership race. With news that Ronna Ambrose will not be throwing her hat in the ring, who's the frontrunner at this point? We talk with MRU Professor of Communication Studies, David Terrace. It's the largest deployment of Calgary-based Army reservists since the Afghanistan mission over 25 years ago. We hear details on where and when our troops will be shipping out. Next, we look at the dark side of the apps we use every day. Cyber experts. Tom Keenan on keeping your information safe in an increasingly online world. Then we catch up with an Alberta company that aims to change the way we fuel our vehicles. Their plan? Putting trash in your tank. And finally, the heartwarming story of a little girl taking to the ice for the very first time. We hear how a local group called Heroes Hockey is making dreams come true for physically challenged kids and their families. 7.49 7.49 on the morning news as we just uh, covered with Danielle. Rana Ambrose out. Scratch that name off the list. Political analyst David Terrace joins uh, Global uh, News uh, this morning to discuss the new rules in the federal conservative, the new uh, not the new rules, I'm sorry, who is uh, most likely to enter. I'm looking at all sorts of articles surrounding David Terrace because he has his finger on the pulse. With Rana out, uh, I think that everybody said she would have walked in and taken the leadership. David, who's going to take it now? Well, you know, there's a degree to which people are saying this is already over because Peter McKay looks like the shoe in, right? Looks like a shoe in. And to some degree, he's the picture perfect candidate. Uh, He's a centrist within the party. He's been foreign minister and defense minister and minister of justice. He has a a wife who's been a beauty queen and is an international activist for children. He comes from a political family. He he looks the part. You know, if if you if you imagined like what a prime minister would look like, I mean, he's he's the right age, the right look. So some people feel that wow this is this is already done. And one of the one of the points here that's important is the last leadership race in 2017 there were 14 candidates and it went to 13 ballots. And the party decided that was that was a freak show it was mayhem and it wouldn't happen again and they've created new rules mm-hmm. the high jump bar the to to enter the race is now really high three hundred thousand um, dollars the maximum contribution is sixteen hundred and twenty five per person so you need a lot of donors three thousand signatures yeah. in from 30 ridings in seven provinces so basically you need a, a you already need an organization on the ground to be able to even enter the race and 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 i think that's what peter mckay has at this point jean charret has said he is out it's expected that aaron o'toole will be in and pierre polyev did do you think pierre shot himself in the foot with what he was talking about yesterday I didn't hear what he what he said. He yesterday. referred yesterday. Somebody would ask, asked him, and then he said that yes, he would allow MPs to introduce abortion legislation, but wouldn't let it pass. Isn't that something that we've heard before and didn't go over well? Yeah, the party is 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 sort of caught here because 
to some degree, to break into the big cities and to and to win the suburbs around Toronto and Vancouver, you know, you 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 right now the party is offside on on many social issues. And yet within the party, there's a morality caucus. There's the evangelical caucus. Last time they they ran uh, Brad Trost. This time there's going to be probably an evangelical candidate. So, you know, it's very hard for Polyev to, you know, to to, to dissect this and play the middle or play one side against the other. Uh, It'll be a tough issue for the party. And it's a part and it's an issue of identity. Mm -hmm. Wow, incredible stuff. Uh, any surprises? Do you think we'll see another Kevin O'Leary? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin O'Leary is still paying off his debt. Oh, okay. <laughs> Iran, so. Well, they have till February 27th to get their applications in. And then is it March 25th that they have to yes. have the signatures in? So yeah, time is running the, out. The money, the signatures, you know, everything by, by March 25th. And that's kind of a shotgun situation. So I, I think that's going to discourage a lot of people who might otherwise have run from really, really running this time. Well, if nothing else, it's going to be an interesting uh, several weeks mm-hmm. ahead, David. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Oh, my pleasure. David Terrace is Professor of Communication Studies at MRU. The Canadian Armed Forces deploying 25 soldiers from the Calgary Highlanders headquartered at Mawada Armories to Latvia for Operation Reassurance. This is the largest deployment of soldiers from an Alberta Reserve unit since the end of Canada's operation in Afghanistan. Joining us to explain the mission is Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Palmer, commanding officer with the Calgary Highlanders. Good morning. How are you, sir? Hi, good morning. I'm doing very well yourself. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about the mission? What exactly is it? What were the soldiers going to be doing? Sure, absolutely. Uh, So the soldiers uh, from the Calgary Highlanders, as well as uh, um, some other reserve soldiers from the Royal uh, Edmonton uh, Regiment, will be deploying as part of uh, the Canadian-led Enhanced Forward Presence Battle Group in Latvia. Uh, And essentially uh, what they'll be doing is uh, they'll be uh, working uh, very closely with a number of other uh, a number of other nations uh, as well as the Latvian army um, to uh, basically uh, train and work together and uh, provide a credible uh, presence in that uh, in that region. How did it work out that this is the largest since the Afghan operations? Is it that much of a need, or does it happen that uh, nationally they just uh, decided to call in the, the Calgary reservists? Well, uh, there there is a um, there is an. Uh, uh, an army reserve or part-time component to almost all um, all Canadian Army missions. So, so, so this one is no different. The reason why it wind up coming uh, to Calgary specifically um, was uh, uh, basically has to do with the fact that uh, it's Western Canada's turn to be in the high readiness cycle. So, um, at various other points, um, you know, perhaps reserve units from Eastern Canada or Quebec. Uh, might be doing this as well. Uh, the reason why it specifically involves um, soldiers from Calgary and and Edmonton uh, is uh, because of this uh, um, newly uh, established uh, infantry mortar capability uh, created uh, as part of the strengthening the Army Reserve Initiative, um, which was a project uh, that started as part of uh, um, Canada's uh, new defense policy, strong, secure, engaged a few years ago. So we've been kind of working on this capability for a couple of years now. It, is this a dangerous mission or, or really are all missions dangerous? But will, will they, there be danger on the front lines kind of thing? Well, I mean, all Canadian Forces operations do carry a certain uh, a certain element of risk. Um, however, this is you know this is primarily a mission um, 
to provide a credible uh, a credible presence and to um, and to train with our with our with our NATO allies. Uh, so it's uh, so it's so it's really not like the Afghanistan mission a few years ago, um, where where our soldiers uh, were involved in combat operations on a daily basis. It's really not like that. Can you give us a makeup of these twenty five soldiers? Of for example, men, women. What are the ages and and what do they do when they're not uh, reservists? Uh, sure, abs- absolutely. So, um, so, 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 this particular group, um, the Calgary uh, Highlander soldiers, are are all men, but there are a couple of uh, female members of the mortar platoon coming out of Edmonton, um, um, and really they come from all walks of life. So, you know, the oldest, uh, the oldest member, uh, I think he's uh, middle forties, but there's uh, plenty of younger soldiers as well. Um, you know, um, uh, I'd say probably um, half of them are. Are uh, at various stages uh, into their careers, um, and then the other half are, uh, um, you know, pursuing some kind of post-secondary education um, and doing the Army Reserve thing on a, on a on a part-time basis. Is it difficult to get reservists to get people to join the military here in Canada? Uh, so um, it does vary a bit. Uh, um, um, by region, I would say in uh, in Calgary, it has not been my experience that it is difficult. Um, um, I've always had a, um, a lot of success. Um, a lot of success with Calgary Highlanders had a lot of success um, in bringing in reserve soldiers, and also um, finding soldiers uh, for for uh, international operations um, is generally not a problem. Um, you know, our um, our soldiers, you know, you know, you know, they join because they're looking for excitement. They're looking for something different. Uh, so, um, so when it comes uh, to these kinds of opportunities, uh, we have lots of soldiers who are who are. Um, very excited to 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 uh, be a part of that. Well, thank you for spending your time with us this morning, Lieutenant, and telling us about the mission and the Calgary Highlanders. No, thank you very much. Uh, have a great day. You too. Be safe. That is Lieutenant uh, Colonel Ryan Palmer, Commanding Officer, the Calgary Highlanders. 709 on the morning news. Earlier this week, it was revealed that Amazon billionaire Jeff Bezos had his phone compromised through his use of the WhatsApp app. WhatsApp is an extremely popular communications application owned by Facebook and used by millions of people across the globe. The app's own description of its service is fast, simple, secure messaging and calling for free. Joining us to talk about how trusting we should be about the security of the apps we use on a daily basis is Tom Keenan, professor at the University of Calgary, research fellow of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, cyber expert and author of the best-selling book Techno Creep. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Andrew. Tom, many of us use apps every day. Should we be concerned for our safety? Well, we should be concerned. Now, WhatsApp actually has a lot of security. It has, for example, end-to-end encryption. So this has ended the old thing about, well, somebody trying to eavesdrop on you by being the man in the middle. So instead, they're going to other things. They're going to, let me infect your computer. And apparently, if you send the video file, this is the latest analysis, uh, as Jeff Bezos got the file, and you look at it, that file might infect your your uh, smartphone, just like a Trojan, could infect your computer. So that's what happened. Somebody sent him a file, he opened it, and that was where the the virus got in. That's the latest theory. I did read a documented case, and it's interesting to explain. The CEO of a bank in the U.S. downloaded this thing called Perfect 365 for retouching photos. Sounds pretty innocent, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Turns out it was infected with malware called Xcode Ghost, and people were able to steal all her credentials. So one of the things is that there's a lot of apps out there. Some are fine, and some are not. 
Well, you know, it's interesting when you go to websites like a banking website, we're told by experts such as yourself to look for the little lock yep. and the HTTPS. So there are signatures we can look for our safety, uh, look at for our safety. How about with the apps? Can you tell if one is safe and one isn't? You know, you really can't. I wrote in uh, in my book, Techno Creep, I wrote about poor Cassidy Wolf, and she got her, she was Miss Teen USA. She got her computer infected and, you know, naked photos of her sent around. The best thing to think about is where did the app come come from if it came from your bank and you know that you're on your bank's website when you got it it's probably fine because they have a security department that checked it if it came from the official apple store the app store or the android store pretty good but not for sure i just posted on my twitter feed 17 apps that were on the iphone store in october that had bad stuff in them you're kidding yeah and, and by bad stuff it wasn't necessarily trying to steal your information. There are other ways they can hurt you. Some of these had what are called clicker background apps. So essentially, they make your phone work extra hard clicking on websites because there are sites where people get paid per click. So you're sitting there watching your phone, and it's doing stuff that you can't see, and that's in the background. So sometimes they don't even want to steal your information. They just want to use your phone. Okay, so you know, can you kind of explain for, for dummies how it all works? So if a virus gets onto my phone, yep. but I don't necessarily have a, a banking app. Can they get into my banking information? Like, sure. I, How does it work? You know, uh, there's technicalities like Apple has secure areas and stuff like that. But in general, if you put a program on your computer or you put an app on your smartphone, you're saying, go for it. You can use all the memory. You can access all the files. So once somebody gets in with one of these apps, the malware as we call it, they have the full capabilities of your phone. And the problem is you can now download antivirus programs, but it's a race. The bad guys are creating new ones faster than the good guys can catch them. Could part of it also be when you talk about an app, of, for example, even Facebook, it's open on my desktop right now. Yep. It is on my phone and it is on the computer. So there are multiple places where somebody could actually hack my app. Would that be one of the challenges? Oh, absolutely. So one of the recommendations, I just read a bunch of articles, is separate your work and your personal. You know, have two phones. I might even say separate your work, your personal, and your sketchy stuff like porn. <laughs> so you have three. Andrew, di- why are you looking at <laughs> me yeah not you so three different accounts three different devices there are people who do that i know people who definitely are carrying uh, two phones and this is the work one and this is the personal one maybe this is a dumb question but if okay so talking about that facebook is open on my computer yeah. but i also then open it on my phone can can a virus go from my computer to my phone well it would depend you'd have to do something on the phone that would actually cause it to do to download, but the reality is some of these things can be invisible. They can kind of lurk in the background. So we, we use this term drive-by download, where what happens is you don't even know you hit something, but you hit it. Certainly if you do what, what Jeff Bezos apparently did and watch a Saudi tourism video <laughs> that has malware in it, you're asking for trouble. Uh, I would think the other issue is the fact that these things spread like wildfire and that a, an app becomes popular or a celebrity uses it. We don't know much about it but everybody's downloading it i'm thinking about you know that new cameo app where you can get you know celebrities to say hi to you that's the new hot one and there'll be another new hot one next week so keeping on top of them must be an issue you son of a gun you just shot down my best piece of advice (laughs) i was gonna say so when you're downloading an app 
make sure that lots of other people have downloaded it, that it's popular, so you're not the only one who's going to get fooled. But you're right. <laughs> people do go out there, and they in, in herds, they download things. And as I said, doing a little bit of research on this, a banking CEO who just thought she was going to have a thing to retouch photos, mashing it hit. So it's definitely buyer beware. Best advice, stick to the official app stores like Apple and Android and so on. Do not go to those stores in China. You may see a free version of a piece of software that they were going to ask you to pay for in the app store. There's a reason why it's free. And what about your kids? I mean, they've got all kinds of stuff going on, and then they're not smart enough sometimes to... to no, but they think you're not smart enough to take right. your advice. Or... True. And then, you know, something will pop up in a game. Hey, you can get this for free if you just click here. So I guess that's probably one of the biggest things you need to worry about, too. That's how kids are going to learn. The good news is that with the exception of trust fund babies, most kids don't <laughs> have a lot of money. Uh, they maybe don't have a lot of information that's worth stealing, but they're all going to get hurt. I mean, my theory is that sooner or later, every kid is going to out there. Kids say to me, hey, I use Snapchat and the photo disappears in eight seconds. What's the problem? I say, take a picture of your nose, and they do. And then I hold another phone on top of it and take a picture of the phone, the picture. And I go, it's a good thing. That was your nose. Oh, well, that's a that's good example. Good. Look at Tom. <laughs> I'm going home to use that later. You mentioned yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that on your Twitter you have uh, something like 17 uh, different nefarious areas we should be avoiding. How often are you updating uh, <laughs> the different uh, warnings or yeah. bits of advice? I'm not in the business of giving people warnings, but you can read this article. There are companies that are, like Wandera is the one I came up with. The headline, and it's right on my at Dr. Future Twitter feed, mm -hmm. Trojan Malware Infecting 17 Apps on the App Store. I didn't pick this one to endorse that company. I picked it because I thought it was remarkable that mm -hmm. they could get away. And it's one company that did 16 of the 17 with sticking all these different apps into the official Apple App Store because they're supposed to check them pretty carefully. Obviously, they're not. Are we just kind of hooped here, Thomas? Like, there's just well, it's it's coming some way somehow. We're all going to get hacked. Give you a little bit of hope. I did read one article that said, you know, banking from your smartphone may be better than from your computer. Oh, good. And, the, and well, and the reasoning there is your smartphone is going to get to the stage where it can look at your face and make sure that you're you, right? A lot of people don't have the cameras on on their computers, but the cameras are on on your phone. So the reality is, we're going to probably come to a world where you have to look at your phone to do banking so that's going to eliminate a lot of fraud and you know the antivirus people are doing their best i don't want to give them a hard time you can download stuff that will find bad stuff on your phone and that combined with common sense you know we still have to live we still have to bank and mm -hmm. shop and stuff like that wow it changes every second thank you very uh, much for your time tom okay folks thanks a lot of course you can find him on twitter at dr future that is ufc professor tom keenan Celo Waste Solutions and Renewable Energy is a company down near Lethbridge that turns garbage into biodiesel. It's an innovative company looking to now expand its operations. Three new plants planned for southern Alberta. So what does this mean for our province? Well, let's find out from Celo Waste Solutions President and CEO Don Allen. Hi, Don. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining us again. I know we chatted with you a little while back. Tell us again what your company does and how you do it. Sure. We're the first company in the world that has taken waste all the way to making renewable fuels, uh, mostly highway diesel and jet diesel. Uh, nobody else in the world does it commercially. We got the first plant operating in Alderside, about 20 minutes south of Calgary. And what type of waste are we talking about here, Don? Is it the stuff that would be in our compost bins? 
Uh, good morning, Andrew. Yes, it's uh, it's more than that. Uh, we believe with our technology, we can actually eliminate the requirement for a landfill. We can take pretty much anything that can burn or, or liquefy. So when you go into the landfill, we have you take anything of value out of it. So the metals, the glass, the rocks, the dirt, and then we can pretty much take everything else. So if it's made from a tree, uh, we can take it. So we can even take blown down trees. Uh, we can go behind the fires and take those. We can take uh, paper, cardboard, flyers, glossy paper, which is very hard to get rid of. Cardboard, of course, is really difficult to sell today. We can take railroad ties. Um, we can take all plastics. We've never found a plastic or fiberglass that we can't take, even if they're contaminated. Uh, we can take tires. We can take all organics. So it can be your grass clippings, your food waste. So basically, if it can burn or liquefy, we can turn that into uh, high-grade renewable diesel. It's incredible. I mean, no landfill, that is a lofty goal, but obviously you're getting a lot of attention because you're expanding now. Three new plants planned for this province. Tell us what the uh, the future is looking like for you. Well, we, we announced that we've we've done a feedstock agreement with CP Rail for half a million railroad ties a year. Uh, we're going to be putting that down in the Medicine Hat area. Uh, we've, we're working right now on, on securing feedstock for the city of Lethbridge. Uh, we are working on securing feedstock in Grand Prairie. And we're also looking to do Calgary right now as well. And uh, there's a few other spots. We just announced we're going to Halifax as well. Halifax will be a little different. We plan to be uh, focusing on uh, the plastics coming from the ocean and the rivers. Wow. Uh, so that's going to be, we're hoping to import the plastics that Malaysia and the Philippines, China, don't want. Mm-hmm. And so what everybody's complaining about, we want to actually start making an impact on that side of it. So we're looking for a deep water port that we can start bringing this stuff in on. Don, how does the biodiesel stack up against the traditional biodiesel or diesels rather that are being used around the world? Does it perform as well? Yeah, good, good question. Um, so right now there's a mandate in every developed country in the world that want to take renewables and blend it with gasoline and diesel. Uh, fossil fuels. Um, we compete against biodiesel. Biodiesel is made out of food crops like cr- uh, canola and soybeans, uh, sometimes out of animal fat and yellow grease from restaurants. They have a lot of oxygen, which means they got a lot of water, so they, they freeze. Uh, animal tallow freezes about plus 20 C, uh, their diesel, and uh, the best out there is canola, and they freeze about minus 10 C. So they don't use it in Canada. Anything that's reduced in Canada goes to Florida and California. Uh, right now for the market, it's about 650 million liters a year, and that's imported from normally Singapore, uh, some from Finland and Brazil. So we have no competition here. We make our, our renewable fuel actually has no water in it. We've taken it down to minus 170C, and it's never frozen. Wow. And so we can use it in military aircraft you can use it in northern communities but you can use it 365 days a year here and we also get a, a premium over top of it because we make a higher quality diesel so we get a 25 percent premium over biodiesel and of course biodiesel we're, we're kind of losing the thought of that being renewable as they they put it on a ship and they they burn what they call a, a bunker diesel it's a low quality diesel and they bring it across the ocean and stick it onto a rail line or onto a, a truck and then haul it over and I mean, it's uh, the carbon credits, the footprint is way larger than ours. Mm. So, you know, you you say no competition, nobody else is able to do it. So you must be getting attention from around the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, we've got, uh, 
We're overwhelmed, actually. I bet. Where uh, our goal right now is to build 40 of these plants over the next five years. So we're uh, we're very overwhelmed with the opportunities. Uh, we're trying to right now. We, if we can secure the feedstock, we're going to set up. That's basically where it's at. Selling that the fuel is very simple. Everybody would everybody's looking for it, so it's it's very diff, very easy for us to find a buyer for it. Um, so we're we're in a pretty good spot. It's we're actually in the, in the two fastest growing industries in the world right now. The uh, the waste recycling industry is very young. It's probably only seven years old, and it's one of the fastest-growing industries. When you think about oil and gas being here in Alberta, we think of the, what the volume is in the world in the oil and gas industry. Right now, if you only think of the waste in the landfills, it's already 10,000 times larger than the world's oil and gas industry. And we've uh, got a game-changing technology for it. Amazing. And, yeah. Let's talk about on the other side, Don, uh, when, the, when the fuel burns in an engine, a biodiesel uh, burns, uh, how about the emissions of... Can you compare those to gasoline or, or diesel and what the result is? Yes, uh, because we, we use renewable products, um, our carbon intensity score is, is some of the best in the industry. We, we try to build the greenest refinery in the world. And by doing that, what we've done is, for instance, we've, we're, we use electric heat rather than boilers. Um, by going to electric heat, we actually source out green power. And so uh, our emissions, there, there are no harmful emissions which is unheard of when you talk about refineries. We have a flare stack, but it only burns nitrogen, which we create right from the air. We have our own nitrogen plant, so we just take the nitrogen out of the air. So you, you can't make it any greener. And, and we continue to, to look for ways to make it greener. We, our whole intent is to be the greenest corporation in the world. We think we're well on its way. Well, that, that's your facility, and that's the production of the product. But, for example, if I drove you know, my Ford right now on gasoline versus a biodiesel vehicle, can we talk about those emissions and what I would be uh, putting out into the atmosphere uh, versus gas? So there's still sulfur. Um, right now, the sulfur levels in highway diesel is 15 parts a million, mm-hmm. and that's what you smell when you, you get behind a, a diesel truck. Mm-hmm. Um, our, right now, we're, we're bringing our sulfur levels down to 15 parts a million to meet those specs. We're hoping to get it down to 5 parts a million, um, but we still have some work to do on that side. But in order to meet the specs, we have to meet the highway specs, which is 15 parts a million. So we, we get that because we if we can't just put the garbage into a refinery, it would plug up. It doesn't move. So we still have to put a slurry in there. So in our case, we use used motor oil. And we're still getting a little bit of sulfur from the used motor oil, and that, that's where it comes from. This is super exciting. I mean, you must be just pumped at the the possibilities, not just here in Alberta, Canada, but really, you, as you said earlier, around the world. Well, we, we do believe we can make a difference, and, and that's what we're trying to do. I mean, between right now, if you go down to the Caribbean islands, for instance, they're pushing all the garbage into the ocean because there's no spot on the islands. Um, they buy diesel to make power for the islands. We're, we want to make that a sustainable uh, project for them. And the opportunities are, are endless for Cielo. We think we could be the fastest-growing corporation in North America. Well... And, we wish you luck, and thanks for giving us an update. We'll continue to follow you. I'm sure we'll be chatting again. Well, I appreciate the interest. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Don Allen is president and CEO of Cielo Waste Solutions and Renewable Energy. A hockey-loving family got to experience a dream they thought was never possible. The whole family hitting the ice together and playing hockey. Piper Jackson has cerebral palsy and received what is called a K-trainer, which allowed her to get on the ice. Heroes Hockey Executive Director Kevin Hodgson joins us now to tell us more about Piper and Heroes Hockey. Good morning, Kevin. Morning, guys. 
Tell us about uh, Heroes Hockey. What is it? Well, so Heroes is actually in its 20th season and, and with programs all across Canada. And historically, our focus has been on making sure that financial barriers aren't the reason why kids aren't playing. So we, we transport kids to the rink and we run a program for them. We feed them before we send them home. And uh, in the fall of 2018, we branched into providing uh, hockey for kids who are living with cognitive and physical challenges that prevent them from playing. And that program we call Superheroes. And that's, uh, so that's in its second year here in Calgary. And that's the program that Piper joined this past weekend. So talk to us a little bit about what you did for her family, because obviously this was a dream that, you know, really it brought the family together in a way that they just probably never thought possible. Yeah, absolutely. So when we when we dove into this, we really were uh, into the superheroes part of it. Anyways, we were. Um, it was in our focus, kind of the kid, a lot of the kids living with cognitive challenges, so players with autism, players with Down syndrome, that sort of thing. And what we discovered is that there was a lot of kids living with physical challenges that prevented them from playing, and that there was a way to do it. And so these key trainers are actually devices that are created for a range of different uses that include rehabilitation and and walking assistance and that sort of thing for individuals living with a range of physical challenges. But what we discovered and learned from a group out east that's been using them for years is that with a couple little modifications, they can be used to provide kids with the opportunity to play hockey. And kids such as Piper, who, you know, I think lots of times in our mind, people think of sledge hockey as the option for kids with physical challenges. But Sled hockey isn't isn't the answer for a lot of kids, and uh, but these devices can be. So um, we uh, we we got a hold of a few of these. We were very fortunate. Canadian Tire Jumpstart through their Parasports Initiative. They we reached out to them and said, "Listen, we found these devices. They're in the states. We need some help getting them across the border because there's the logistics issues of customs and all that." And they said, "Well, we'll do you one better. We'll we'll pay for them too." And they're like five thousand dollars a piece. They're not awesome. cheap. So we got one for Regina, two for Calgary, two for Edmonton. And uh, the next step was finding the players for them. And, and interestingly enough, that's harder than you think because a lot of the families, such as Piper's families, they aren't looking for opportunities for their kids to play hockey because they just there's never been an opportunity and they just presume that there isn't one. And so took a little legwork and uh, it, kind of interestingly enough, um, Piper's mom works with kids living with cerebral palsy and uh, so when she heard about this opportunity, she started thinking about all the kids that she works with in her professional role. And somebody said, well, what about your own daughter? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and she said, oh, my God, I never thought of that. And, <laughs> you know, both of Piper's moms played hockey at the university level. Her sister, uh, Bryn, plays hockey. And so Piper had been relegated to the role of being a hockey fan and hockey supporter. And so that changed this past weekend. And it was interesting. We first we first connected with Piper and her family about three days ago. And so this all happened incredibly quickly. And uh, but the whole family was there on Sunday watching Piper skate, and uh, her sister Bryn came out, and uh, you know it's it's one of those moments where there's a lot of smiles and a few tears when you see that because um, you realize I mean we we when we started this superhero thing we knew we were going to touch kids' lives we didn't really understand the scope of how it would impact entire families but uh, when you can tell a family that all of them are now hockey players mm-hmm. that's that's a big deal. Well, let's get technical because you uh, dropped the term K-trainer. What does it look like mm-hmm. and, and how does it work on the ice? Yeah, so it's it's a device on wheels. And the best way I can describe it is a really basic, um, almost like a like a squat cage almost that you'd see in a gym or something like that. Um, and it's it's got a, a harness 
that, that goes around Piper or the other players that are using it, and then a crank that essentially lifts them up and gets the weight off their legs. So the players that are using these are ones that don't have the ability to, um, you know, to walk and, mm-hmm. and can't, you know, don't have the strength to be able to hold themselves up. But that doesn't mean that they can enjoy the feeling of playing upright. And so the, the harness and the crank sort of take them up off the ice, take the pressure off their legs. And, and so what it enables us to do is either we provide the, we, when I say that, the volunteers that are on the ice can either move the, move the device for the player or, you know, there are some players who have some phys- uh, physical ability to kind of get the, get the thing going under their, own, um, under their own strength. And so it enables us to adapt that depending on what their abilities are at that particular time. And uh, that doesn't change how important it is for these kids to, to have that experience of being on the ice, stick handling and being with their teammates. What was Piper's response after she got to experience this? Well, Piper has this beautiful smile that is is most of her communication. So she doesn't communicate verbally. She doesn't have that. So it's lots of noises. And so we even in the course of the hour we had her on the ice learned what some of those noises meant. But um, we got this beautiful picture of her with this smile with her tongue out. And what we learned from the family mm-hmm. is that's pure joy. That's, that's how she communicates that. And um, what was kind of neat is a lot of our players... Um, like our the players that are on her team didn't see the device; they saw the new teammate. So they all went over to check in on her and skate with her. One of our our little girls, Grayson, who's a player with Down syndrome, didn't leave Piper's side. Aww. She skated right next to her. You know, because these kids know what it's like to not feel like you belong, and mm-hmm. they know what it's like to not feel like they're part of a team. And so they're the first ones to make sure that these players feel like they're part of a team. I mean, I sort of have this theory that kids. Kids' activities, especially special needs kids' activities, would be fantastic if adults didn't get in the way. You know, if we just if we just put all of our our superhero special needs players on the ice and left them with a puck and a ball and a stuffed animal to play with, and came back an hour later, it would be it would be just fine because they accept each other completely for the fact that they all want to be players together. They look for what's in common, not what's different. It's it's the rest of us look for what separates people, and and these kids look for what what they have in common, and it's just a magical experience to share the ice with them. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so yeah. much. It sounds like a tremendous program. Thanks for your time, Kevin. Thank you so much. Kevin Hodgson is executive director of Heroes Hockey.